Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hey, if you can hear me, I can't hear you. Well, here we are, 10 minutes into the show, and I'm wondering right now if this is the first thing anybody can hear. So sounds like Andre's having some technical difficulties on his end today. He's going to try and call in here on the phone. You can get this week going. Some awkward silence here for the first 10, 11 minutes of the show, and we'll try and get this thing working, get to the week 11 recap. Uh, it, this week is going to be an even more greater, less detail. Um, hopefully I can hear my co-host here in a couple of minutes, and we're going to start talking about some of these games from this last week. Uh, Andre pointed out that I was... Going with a lot of heavy favorites this week, and I was, and most of them came through for him. I was pretty happy with that. You know, we, we by week 15 should have a pretty good sense of good and who's bad. And well, we we sure know who's bad. We know Cleveland. We know they're bad. We we know the 49ers. We 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 know they're bad. There's there's definitely some bad teams in the league. Um, both of those teams managed to get blown out pretty handily. That's not surprising. Um, nice to get a nice to get a game in here over uh, over Andre. Finally, just keep working my strategy of getting these games tightened up a little bit by uh, just making sure that I don't lose too much ground, so these percentages can start to normalize, and I can give myself a fighting chance here in the playoffs. We're only two weeks away from that, and. Uh, yeah, you know, we keep looking for that clarity, and it's still starting to get there. We're, we're starting to see a little bit. Teams are starting to punch their ticket. You know, we've got Dallas in. We've got Seattle, New England, Oakland uh, punch their ticket to the playoffs this week because they were able to hang on in San Diego while the Chiefs, oh, the Chiefs, somehow managed to blow a late lead and let the Tennessee Titans, which I, I've got to give Andre credit, he, he had that one. And uh, uh, hello, uh, is this hey, thing on? 
Oh my God. Yeah, that um, was all you pay. I, I heard the theme music and I waited for you to do the intro to the show and there was nothing. Um, long story short, I pulled out the plug of the headset as the show was starting, which knocked me off the show and disconnected me. And when I plugged it back up, I thought I was back on, but obviously I wasn't. Oh, well, I'm glad I, uh, I'm glad I sent you a message after a few minutes and said, are you on the show or? Oh, I was just babbling away. I was punching you up. I was punching you up live and didn't hear anything from you. So then I was disconnecting you thinking there's a problem on your end. And all the, t- all the time, the problem was on my end because I pe- apparently I was connected, but I wasn't connected somehow. So, lesson well, learned. Do a- not unplug the headphones under any circumstances when the show starts. So, I'll, I'll learn that lesson. Well, this will this will be a good test for anybody who listens to this show to see if they go if they stick through ten minutes of silence before the show actually starts. Yes, the two people that listen live really uh, got absolutely nothing. They got a theme song and 10 minutes of silence, and they're wondering what the hell was going on. But we're here. If you stuck through, if you persevered, we're here. We're ready to talk football, and we're totally discombobulated. At least I am. I mean, that was just horrible. That was the worst. And I know, oh my God. No, you were just on a total roll, too, for those 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had an open already because uh, one of my bowling teammates gave me a, a chocolate cake for my birthday tonight and in, in the shape of a big-ass cupcake, so I was feeling good. I got chocolate cupcake in the house. The whole house smells like chocolate. The car smells like chocolate. I was ready. I'm, I'm pumped up and ready to go, and I was talking about our stats for the week and our records and everything, and I kick it to you, and I hear nothing back, and I'm like, oh, no. This is not good. And then after we start texting, I realized, oh, no, no one's heard anything anyone has said. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, first I figured you just didn't make it onto the show, but then I kept hearing muted, unmuted, muted, unmuted, which I know you're doing to me. Yeah. I'm like, okay, Andre's running the board, but I don't think he knows that nobody can hear him. No, I did not know that. I absolutely well, did not know that. I thought nobody could hear you, but. You you got through. You once you finally said something, I was like, okay, we're we're on because I can hear you saying something. You just couldn't hear me say anything back to you. So. Ah, all of that is taken care of now. All well, right, that's all I was saying. Hello, I'm here. Oh, okay, uh, as I was saying for the week, uh, Jason and D did come through with a lot of those big point spreads. So he goes to 8-8 eight and eight on the week, and I go to 7-9. and nine. He took two games from me on Sunday, but I had the game in hand on Saturday to counterbalance that a little bit. Uh, so for the season, I put you. You were smack dab at 500 at the beginning of the week, and you're still smack dab at 500 for the season. You are playing it right down the middle, as even as can be. Uh, that 7-9 and nine puts me down to... 123, 93, and 8 for a 569 percentage, a mere 30 games over 500 for the season. So I couldn't keep it up. I, I was going for 580, couldn't get it done, but I got two more weeks to, to balance that out. Right. But, again, my, my strategy is paying off. My, you know, just just sticking around 500, not crapping the bed, and your percentages have started to come back to earth which, you know, again, 
by your point system, your your lead has basically gone to about 14 points over me, which is still in, in a crazy huge lead by your point totals. But if you had been at 600, you know, it would be over because that would be a 24-point lead, and uh, this would be done. I'm, oh. I'm hanging in there. Two more. I got two more weeks to pull you back down. I need. I need to pull you down just a little bit. I need you to have a three and thirteen is what I need yeah. you to do. About to say you. You hoped I was going to come crashing back to you a little harder than this because this is crawling back to you. This isn't really crashing, but my percentage well, no, is coming down. So now on the math, and even if you just stay the same number of games ahead of me as you are now, it will shrink. Because the percentages will will, will 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 stay somewhat in line, so even though, so we've got two more weeks of games, but it's it's amazing how just treading water and hanging in there and just not trying to give you too many more games over me, the percentages have started to work out. I've got a plan here. Don't worry. Okay, well, we'll wait for you to execute the plan and see how that works. Uh, so we. Again, like I said a, a couple of shows ago, either you're going to go wire to wire on me like our first season in reverse, or you're going to have the biggest stunning by me in the history of the show. One, one of the others, the only two possibilities that we have. Well, I heard a little bit of you uh, filling time when I asked you to, to entertain the people, uh, but because my ego is so massive, I don't remember too much about what you said except to give me the credit for the Tennessee stunning upset of Kansas City. So I, I'll take credit for that. And, uh, yeah, that, that game was uh, – what did you think about that uh, that result? Because the Chiefs pretty much had that one. It, it felt like the entire way until, like, right at the end when they found a way to blow it. Yeah, that's that's a, there were a few games that you and I differed. This could have been even worse for you because that you had that game and you had the Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game where those were easy covers through three and a half quarters, and then both teams just decided, well, Cincinnati actually stopped playing oh. a lot better than that. Cincinnati just started going three and out on every possession once they got their big lead over Pittsburgh, Cincinnati couldn't do anything with the football. Like they forgot how to play. And then you had the Titans had Kansas city had all sorts of chances to ice that game away. And they just, they just couldn't do it, which I'm glad because again, Houston looked like they were losing the whole game pulls off a, they pull off a last second miracle sort of win. And Houston stays tied with Tennessee at the top of that division. I was really wanting Houston to lose that game so Tennessee could get that one game advantage, but the great Tom Savage pulled it out. And uh, yeah, we've got all sorts of drama going on right now. But yeah, hey, good for Tennessee. I mean, they're the team I want to see come out of that division right now just because I don't want to see Houston. So hey, good for them. Yeah, this is a game I got a chance to watch. So two teams that very well might both be in the playoffs uh, in a few weeks. Uh, boy, the Chiefs, I, I I would have to be very worried if I were Andy Reid and the Chiefs because, uh, well, I'm very worried. Maybe not very worried, because, only because we know what the Chiefs' M.O. is, get to the playoffs and get beat by a more talented team. So with regards to that, they're pretty much right on track. But what the fuck, man? You get 
a 14 to nothing lead on a, a team that has almost nothing going for it except running the football. And on top of that, uh, the Chiefs had two opportunities at their own goal line to, to go in and get some points and get no points. They got uh, near the goal line twice and just blew it. The, uh, the one time where uh, they had a guy run around the end and, and go knock the, pay, knock the pylon over for a touchdown, except they ruled him out of bounds at like the one-inch line, which I always thought no matter where the ball was, if you knock the pylon over, they, they give you the touchdown. You could have the ball waving around and way out from your body, uh, but they just give it to you. But this is the one rare chance where a guy knocks over the pylon, does not get credit for the touchdown, and it's Spencer Ware on third and fourth down from the one-inch line gets just pounded and stoned at the goal line. And came back another time towards the uh, towards the red zone, and Alex Smith throws a terrible interception. Uh, you know, the Chiefs having no sort of killer instinct and, and no – Way to, to cut the throat of their opponent when they have a when they have them down. That that's sort of par for the course as it gets closer to crunch time for the Chiefs. They've had all these great wins, and I'm a Chiefs fan. I'm a converted Chiefs fan. I used to hate the way they played, and now I appreciate the way they do things uh, in the regular season and all the wins that they've gotten. But on the flip side, th- this is why they don't have any Super Bowl appearances. This is why they can't even get to the AFC title game because they get to this moment of prosperity. And you talk with the, the teams that can't handle prosperity. You talked about a, a lot of teams like that. Well, the Chiefs, uh, you can add them to the list because all these regular season wins don't really mean anything once it gets to really tough situations like this. December football, January football, playoff football, football against teams that are potentially playoff teams where you got them down 14 nothing in your house, in your fucking house, with a Hawaiian quarterback that's scared of the cold. It doesn't know what he's doing out there. And you find a way to blow that game, that really, really bodes poorly for the Chiefs. Long-term, short-term, all the terms, this is a game there's no way they should have lost. No, another and, and another one where, you know, I thought I was giving up a big number and looked like I was on easy street. That game, that, that game just felt over. It was like, ah, Tennessee's not going into Kansas City and doing anything. And then, yeah, they they – it's tough with the Chiefs because they've won some games they probably shouldn't have won. You know, they've they've had a few interesting wins. I mean, we had that one in Atlanta. I know they've had they had another one. So it, it, it's going to be dramatic with them. I think that's what we found out. But it's hard to pile on them too much. I mean, they are they are ten and four. They just get that feel to uh, to me of that that team that they get there, but they're they kind of don't deserve to be there. They I can't take any of their wins away from them, but but a game like this, good God, just you need to win this game. And then Andy Reid, uh, now I'm not the one to to go to go to when you want to have the argument about abolishing the uh, the freezing the kicker rule, which a lot of people have said needs to just be outlawed. Uh, I'm uh, I'm in favor of freezing the kicker. It works. It has worked many times. I've seen it work. And if you use it and it doesn't work, I don't think that's an argument for abolishing. I think it's just it doesn't work sometimes. And this is one of those times where it happened to not work because Andy Reid freezes the kicker, Ryan Suckup, on the game-winning field goal that the Titans have. And Suckup leaves the first attempt short. But because Andy Reid froze the kicker, called timeout, 
Flacco got another chance, banged it through from a long distance away, a 53-yarder, to win the game. Good on Ryan Suckup. Give him credit for that. But And, and criticize Andy Reid also for freezing a kicker if you want to criticize him for doing something that maybe didn't need to be done. You're already in one-degree weather. I don't know how much freezing, how much extra freezing you need to do. And this is you gave him – he gave Suck up a free opportunity to sort of measure himself and see what he needs to do. And he took advantage of that free information and, and kicked it a little harder and, and got it done to win the game. But don't criticize him. Well, don't say that it should be abolished, that freezing the kicker should be just completely abolished just because it didn't work this time. Because there's been plenty of times where we've seen it actually work. So just happened to not work out this time. Yeah, and that's just that, – that's, that's a dumb conversation anyways because – if you have a team and they have a timeout, they can use it whenever they want. Yeah, it's a timeout. You get to stop play. It's not something where you can't stop play now. No, not right now. No, no, no. No, you can stop it whenever you, you want. Know. You know, as long as the ball hasn't been snapped. I know they changed some of the rules on that on the freezing the kicker that the that that call can only come in from the sideline now. I believe you can't have the players on the field um, all of a sudden just rise up. And uh, and call that. I know there have been some tweaks to the freezing of the kicker, but it, it's it's been adjusted to. This has been addressed. Um, it still can happen, but yeah, if, you, if it's the end of the game and you got a timeout to burn and you want to freeze the kicker, go right ahead and do it. Absolutely. Um, in the middle of all that talking that I was doing that nobody heard, I was also congratulating the Patriots for once again winning the division earning a first-round bye, doing kind of what New England does. Um, they were the uh, one of the teams that clinched the playoff spot over the weekend along with the Oakland Raiders. Uh, so the, the Silver and Black are back in the playoffs for the first time in many, many years, so they're very, very happy about that as well. So got a little clarity uh, over the weekend on these playoff yep. spots. It's still pretty late in the year for a lot of things to still be up for grabs. It's usually – a lot more things are settled by this point, but it's one of those really, really wild years. That year of, the, year of parity, I still call it. Several divisions that are still up for grabs. Um, you know, we've, we've, the, the NFC, our NFC North has gotten a lot tighter <laughs> um, with the Lions, with their loss to the, uh, to the Giants, um, and the Packers win over the Bears. That, that division has basically become – between Detroit and Green Bay, uh, which team can win out? Because Detroit and Green Bay have a game this week, and then next week they play each other. If Green Bay wins out, they'll have the tiebreaker over Detroit. If Detroit wins out, obviously they'll have beaten Green Bay. Um, So if both of them take care of business this week, we could be looking at a potential division championship game uh, next week. And you've got a feeling that that could be flex time because I don't believe NBC is going to want to flex the AFC South if they don't have to, which no, I don't believe. <laughs> yeah, I also don't believe play next week. Oh, they do. Wow. Houston and Tennessee do play next week. Okay. I take that back. So we could have, we could have multiple win or go home style games next week. Uh, Tennessee is at Jacksonville for week 16. Um, they are, I believe they uh, play in week 17. They, are, they do host Houston in week 17 next week. Yep. So next week, I mean next week is in week 17. Oh. Sorry. I see. 
and Green Bay yeah. and Detroit Saints. So we've got some we've got some uh some drama shaping up for the for the final weeks here, which is good. I mean you know, a couple was it last year or the year before, everything other than one playoff seed was determined by the end by week seventeen. Right. I mean there's actual playoff ramifications that are like major ones going into these last two weeks. And I, I think I prefer it this way. Your parody, you prefer this? Uh, I prefer to call it a year of uh, closeness. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of missed the days when there were like several real, you know, strong contenders for the Super Bowl. To me, it feels like there's like two or three teams that can make the Super Bowl. To me, I cannot imagine the Raiders. Still, I, you know my blind spot about the Raiders. I don't believe in that defense at all. I still think the Patriots are the clear class of the AFC, and all the teams below the, the Patriots and Raiders, I like them even less. The Chiefs, of course, not. The Dolphins, the Steelers, the Texans, Ravens, Titans, Broncos. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I don't feel like there's much contest in the AFC. In the NFC, it's a little more wide open because there's not even a team as good as, as the Patriots to me. I still don't know if the Cowboys are necessarily for real, like Super Bowl for real. I understand that they're, they they bounced back on Sunday night and had a nice performance uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and getting back on track. And, and Dak Prescott looked like he was uh, Mr. Efficient all of a sudden. So good on him for, for finding – his way back to the yellow brick road, so to speak. But um, I still don't know about them. I think the the Seahawks could go in and, and knock them off. I think the Falcons could go in and knock them off. I think the Giants obviously could go in and knock them off because the Giants have already gone in and knocked them off. Uh, I don't know if I believe in any one of those teams. It's like a real monster major team. I, I just miss, you know, like when Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are on top and they're battling against uh, – Richard Sherman and Legion of Boom and the Seahawks, and it was actual, you know, uh, an actual fight for who's going to be the best. And then last year, Cam Newton and Carolina run to the top and really had a hell of a year. That was still that was a hell of a team despite what they're doing this year. That was uh, one of the better all-around teams we've seen in a long time. Um, I don't see any of that this year. I really don't, and and I don't know. I, I kind of miss that where it's like three or four or five teams that are really strong, strong teams. I don't see that this year. No, we definitely are missing that because even, you know, and maybe, maybe the spotlight's just on more of these teams than it is, it has ever been before, but you're right. Even, even a team like Dallas, who's only lost two games to the same team has obvious glaring weaknesses, but every team does. There's no, but, in Dallas' case, if they go all the way, if they do what they're what the twelve and two record suggests they do, what that means is that these two rookies, Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, are like headed for the top of 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 football, like for all time great. Because what team can you think of that had two guys come in as complete rookies and do what they've done so far this year? If they keep it going, I I just assume there's a rookie collapse coming for both of them at some point. But if they keep going. We're talking about two potential all-time greats here. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to declare that. No, and the trouble of that is, is what we've talked about on a few shows is if that rookie collapse happens and it happens in the NFC Championship game 
or if it happens after that bye week and they get that first home uh, playoff game and somebody comes rolling in there that, that, that had to, you know, fight their way into the playoffs and comes in on, how many times do we see that? How many times do we see it? We see it all the time. The team right now, and we can put together any of these teams, these teams that don't look that great, but basically are playing playoff football because every week is a playoff game for them. How many times do we see those teams fight into wild card week, win a game, and then go upset that number one and number two seed? We see it all the time. Oh, yeah. Nobody. In this season of parity, I'm just kind of wondering and waiting and, and trying to wait for somebody to really emerge and show me that they're like special. Like I, I don't know if I've seen anyone really show me something that makes me go, "Oh, there it is. There's a team that's going to just run through the uh, through the playoffs because they've shown something that I think they they they've really got." the magic touch, right? I don't know if I've seen anything like that yet. <laughs> no, 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 nobody has unlocked the mystery or solved all the secrets by, by far this year. Uh, we are only down to 25 minutes live because we spent the first 10 minutes in complete silence. Uh, it was our meditative uh, portion of the program where you could, you could reflect on your own and take in week 16 or week 15 rather on your own and just mentally discuss what you want in your mind and, and get all of that out of the way. And then we came in with our noise. So that, that's how it worked. That was on purpose. Really? Yeah, that was completely on purpose. Uh, anyway, uh, if, if you would like to join the rest of uh, this live stream uh, with some thoughts of your own, we apparently can get you through and, and actually hear you. Uh, apparently uh, our number of course is always uh, is area code 646-595-4534. And you are listening to this, if you're still listening live, God bless you, on blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail to listen to this show as a podcast, which you have this and the after show. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on TuneIn, MixCloud, Blubbery, or Blueberry. I, I don't know exactly how that's pronounced. It's uh, it's the word Blueberry without the, without the E's, I, I guess. Um, Player.fm. Uh, subscribe by email.com as well. Uh, we are on Twitter. I'm at IMLDJray. Jason's at IMLDJTG. Shoot us an email. Send that to InMuchLessDetail at gmail.com. Follow our pics on our blog. And the blog site is InMuchLessDetail.blogspot.com. Uh, where Frank Schwab uh, going against us on our picks. Mr. Yahoo Shutdown Corner had a even week himself, 8-7-1. Uh, his push came with uh, he had Oakland minus three, not minus two and a half. I, I wish I had minus three because I would have given us a push and instead of giving me a loss. But uh, such is how it works out sometimes. Yeah, San Diego uh, had some fight for Oakland, and Oakland. I tell you what, as much as I criticize the Oakland defense, it's a, it's such a strange uh, the heckle and jive defense because don't let that team have the lead late because Bruce Irvin and, and and Mr. Mack will come get you, and Khalil Mack. I mean, how do they do that? How do they sort of go to sleep during games for three quarters and then get the lead in the fourth quarter and go, uh-oh, all right, we got to go off now. And I don't know how they do that, uh, but that's what they did to Phillip Rivers. And, and you, you give them the lead. You give the Raiders a lead late. They know how to close it out. 
Yeah, that's going to go a long way towards that uh, eleven and three record that they have right now. Is this that we've seen this before with them? It doesn't matter now. What we've normally seen with them is that they've done it when they've given up, you know, thirty-five points. Right. This time, they a game where they only gave up sixteen, and uh, and their offense was not having a good day at the office at all, and then basically has to come back another another late comeback. For, for Oakland this time, but the, again, not in a high-scoring game, you know, not in, and not in a game where they uh, got embarrassed either. I mean, San Diego, they did outgame San Diego, but you know, nobody really played great. I mean, Derek Carr, Philip Rivers, they both played okay, um, but again, Oakland's a very good running team. Excuse me, and they were able to make most of their. Uh, Make up most of their work through the air, um, but yeah, this was this was a game that was back and forth. San Diego, though, for the majority of the game, the game was either tied or San Diego was up. Oakland was up for a real short period uh, after halftime. They had kicked a field goal, got the lead, and then San Diego took the lead and hung onto it for for quite a while. And Oakland just kind of chipped away and ends up kicking a couple of field goals and making it stand up. Quite the result that we were expecting for in that game. I'm I'm fairly certain this was the under uh, when we would have expected Oakland and San Diego. I think we were both thinking, you know, 41-38 or some ridiculous high score. And sometimes, and a lot of times, what you're expecting isn't, isn't what you actually get. Uh was nice to see the Raiders, though, play a little defense and win a low-scoring game instead of just giving it up the whole game long and uh, finding a way to win in some kind of crazy miracle fashion. Yeah, that's a, a very good sign for them. I don't know how many times they can do that, but they did it this, this one time. So give them credit for that, no, no doubt about it. Uh, what did you think of the... Uh, the Patriots and Tom Brady smothering uh, the Denver Broncos and just in, in a very similar fashion, I guess, to Oakland. They just they, they weren't able to get their offense really in gear for much of the day. Tom Brady, I think, started 0-6 in that game. But yeah. the defense just smothered the Broncos, did not let the Broncos get anything going on offense at all, and, and, and they come out with a win. I, I really do think, as I said when I picked the Patriots, I really do think Tom Brady – played this as sort of a two-man or two-game playoff race uh, between Baltimore and Denver. He really wanted those two games. He really played it like uh, it, was a, it was the games that he cares about the most in this regular season, um, even though he, again, did not play very well to begin. Uh, he, he didn't panic. He didn't put his head between his legs. He got his got himself together, got his team together, got with that quick passing offense to, to Julian Edelman mostly. Uh, got some running contribution from Deion Lewis uh, and, and shut down the Broncos. I, I think this is like, I don't know if the, if the Patriots are going to do much of anything else the rest of the regular season, uh, those last two games. Cause I think these two were the ones they really wanted. And now they're going to pretty much like go hibernate until the playoffs start. Yeah. Cause they, they've pretty much got things wrapped up. I don't think they're in much danger. I don't think they're going to lose out to Oakland here for a uh, home field. They pretty much what one more win it should seal it up for them. I'm not sure what all the playoff scenarios are, but they they, they don't have to try too hard to win anyways, as we saw against the Jets. Um, 
No, I, I thought that the, the Broncos' defense played very admirably. Um, what we saw was that that game turned on the one interception that Trevor Simeon threw because they had sort of traded field goals. Denver then went on a really long drive, and Trevor Simeon throws the interception in the Patriots' red zone. And wouldn't you know it, the Patriots are going to take that all the way. You knew as soon as he threw that pick and he gave the Patriots life that that ball was going in the the end zone the other way. And sure enough, the Patriots, they march right down the field. They punch it into the end zone, and and that made it 10-3. to And I thought that that was that one pick, the one really bad play that Trevor Simeon had. And an otherwise statistically decent day, that was the game. That was the ball game. It was. Now, Simeon's been doing this all year, too, that he's had to play from behind and, and do a lot more throwing than the Broncos probably want him to do. I don't think they want him in, uh, attempting 40 and 50 passes in a game. But he's he's looked decent at times. He's, he actually looks like he knows what he's doing out there, unlike the guy that he replaced in Denver, Brock Osweiler, who has <laughs> Played so bad yeah. for the Texans that they had to bench him this week for, like you mentioned earlier, the yeah. great Tom Savage, whoever the hell that is. It worked. Houston would have come from behind win. Against against the Jaguars, though. They were losing to the Jaguars pretty badly. They and were. Do you think Brock Osweiler would have led them back? Uh, no. <laughs> Brock Osweiler got them. Brock Osweiler was the reason they were losing. Correct. So uh, whatever yeah, so Tom, Tom Savage, the great Tom Savage, was immediately yeah. named the starter for this week. And uh, who's he? I want to. I'm just checking to see here. Oh, they get the Bengals, so they get the sad sack Bengals. But you know what? The Bengals are still a better team than the Jaguars. So that, that we'll see what we get out of that. We we, we will see. Um, I'm just hoping that whatever happens, that Houston finds a way to lose and Tennessee can win. And uh, although Tennessee would most likely have to win out because of Houston's uh, somewhat impeccable division record here, they're five and zero in the <laughs> division. Tennessee basically uh, is in win out mode. If they win out, they win the division. So we've got some teams. We've got some teams really kind of setting things up here, interestingly enough. But yeah, um, Brock Osweiler, though, come on. I mean, we we laughed at this move when it happened, I and mean, especially not that the move happened. The money. This is one of those where nobody questions the move. Everyone questioned the money. Nobody saw in that time that he played last year. $72 million. Nobody, the only people that saw that were Houston. Apparently Houston thought that he was the missing piece and he has been atrocious all year long. Some contracts get remembered for the, the, num- the number of dollars because of how bad they are. Like in that yeah. same sort of vein of not blockbuster deal, but way too much money for a guy who wasn't that good. I still remember that. I actually don't even remember the team, but some team, maybe it was the Mariners, some team gave $55 million to Guild Mesh. And I know you remember that. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like, who do you think this guy is? 
Um, so not even, you know, A-Rod 254 and Mike Hampton, one, I think 138. Those are blockbusters that, you know, and, and A-Rod pretty much played as, as well as he could. That wasn't like a uh, – but it was the biggest contract at the time, so it got thrown around. That number got thrown around. It's very famous. And Mike Hampton's number was famous because you don't ever pay that much to a pitcher to go pitch in Colorado because it's not going to work out anyway. But not even on a blockbuster level, but on a level of why are you giving even that much money to a to a guy who hasn't proven much of anything? I, that's the first one that popped in my mind was Gil Mesh got $55 million from somebody, and no one thought that was a good deal at the time. And no one thought Brock Osweiler's $72 million was a good deal at the time either. No. So the the money is doing them in. Now, this is football, so you know the money really it sounds big, but it's only the guaranteed money right. that matters. So you can you can sign a guy to whatever you want, but you're only on the hook for what you have guaranteed in that contract. So, Although, do you think Houston would be that ballsy to admit the mistake and just cut Osweiler anytime soon? Because I don't know if they're going to do that. Boy, I mean... What's it going to take to get him back on the field? I mean, if Tom Savage goes out here and just plays like ass against <laughs> Cincinnati, they're forced to sort of like go back to Osweiler maybe at halftime. I, I don't know what they'd be hoping for. Um, like he, he, a spark? I mean, there's been no spark the whole season. No. no I, I would think that Savage is, is in there permanently the rest of this year. But thinking of next year, I, I bet you there's a quarter, quote unquote quarterback uh, challenge or uh, competition in training camp, and somehow Brock Osweiler, quote unquote, wins the competition because you can't give that much money to a guy and get rid of him after less than a year. They're not going to admit that mistake. That's just my prediction because nobody does that. So he, so he basically gets a a clean slate going into next year, and then they they, they sort of yeah handy job. Um, they, they say he's getting a fair shot in training camp at getting his job back, and despite how he plays in in uh, in preseason football, he's he's going to get the job back. That's that's how I see that playing out. Yeah, and Houston the whole season has been extremely unimpressive. I mean, their wins have all been tight. Um, I mean, really, really tight. So that nothing that they're doing has been has been very impressive at all this year. They're just I had sort of a, like barely hanging on when they do win, and Brock Osweiler has not played very well um, in general. I, I had a question to go back uh, into our little uh, personal histories a little bit. Did you get a chance to hear the actual reaction when Brock Osweiler was benched, the actual crowd reaction when they realized Tom Savage was, was being brought into the game? Yeah, they were happy. They were deliriously and, happy. Yeah. Well, these uh, are the I mean, fans go fund me page to buy out his contract. That's right. Those same people were just going crazy the way they were applauding it. They actually had to shush him to get the play call in because they were cheering so loud for Tom Savage <laughs> and, uh, in effect, cheering against Brock Osweiler. So that just made me think of, of the times, and I've got a lot, probably a lot more than you, but the times where you've just suffered an indignity, where you just, there's so much 
hatred, I guess is one way to put it. There's just a situation where you are feeling like the least popular person on the planet where you just feel like, oh, my God, everyone can't stand me. This is horrible. Because that's exactly how Brock Osweiler had to feel when he heard that noise go up once they realized he wasn't playing football anymore. Yes, you are not playing football anymore. We're so happy about that. Uh, So I ask you, Jason, do you have any memories or stories that you'd like to share of like feeling an indignity like Brock Osweiler felt? What's what's one of your lowest points as far as what people think of you if you have any stories like that? Because you know I have several. Uh, I don't know if I have anything to that degree. Now, I have, you know, in, in my work, you know, being several times in my life as being in, in a management or managerial capacity, you're not always the most popular person, you know, so you, because you're – you know, you have to back up what your what your company <laughs> needs and some initiatives. And sometimes you don't always believe in those, and you end up with a lot of feelings where where you're where you know that that the people aren't quite uh, very respectful of of what you're what you're trying to accomplish because it's a tough position to be in. You know, sometimes when you're being in charge has its perils, and uh, it's not always easy when you're when you're trying to like lead people into something, and you know that they pretty much don't have your back. Uh, that that's probably yeah. about the worst feeling that I, that I can think of, um, where I've had that happen. You know, where you're where you're like, all right, you know, we got to do something, and you just know that the people that you're talking to couldn't care less about what you're saying. Um, push comes to shove they just they just don't have your back at all and uh you're just kind of left out there twisting in the wind that 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 unfortunately is management in a nutshell probably not only in my life work but that could even be your old that could be in sports that could be in anything when when you've got somebody who's out there um trying to do some do something that they've been instructed that they have to do and uh and then have to convey that and and just get nothing from from the people my you know i'm sure so there's some nfl head coaches that feel like that right now uh gus bradley used to feel like that before he got canned um, his players oh right well he was on the team playing going back after getting canned i don't know if they were so keen with that <laughs> i don't know if they felt so good about that um so yeah, you uh, you're not as, as big, nearly as big of an asshole as I am. You've never had a an indignity where there's like a a, a lot of people cheering you or uh, uh, cheering your demise or something bad happening to you. No, I I haven't had people actively. Not that I know of. Maybe I'm just too stupid to know it. But <laughs> I don't think I've had anybody actively rooting uh, rooting for me to to fail. Oh, you you might remember this one. I think you were there for this. So in uh, in fifth and sixth grade, uh, as you well remember, I had a lot of trouble keeping my hands to myself. Like I really liked to put my hands on girls back then, um, whether they wanted me to or not, and pretty much none of them wanted me to. But uh, so I got way too grabby with everybody, and I guess I was sort of like a terror to a lot of people, and. Uh, especially girls on, on my school bus and whatnot. Well, one of the girls on my school bus 
finally stood uh, stood up and complained to I think probably uh, Miss Stuber, I think our assistant principal, or she might have actually been our principal at that time. So I, I actually saw them in the hallway talking, and I was just bouncing along, on, you know, on my merry way, not really caring about much of anything. And I see see them talking in the hallway and. Then I see uh, one of the girls turn around and, like, point at me while they're talking. I go, uh-oh, this is not good. Something, Something's going down. And so I go on to my classroom. And it was it was several minutes uh, later that uh, you remember, of course, one of the meanest uh, girls in our class, Andrea Cahill, just not a very, very nice girl. She... I don't know what problems she had from home. I have no idea, but she was not very friendly. So she was really, she would relish pretty much anyone uh, getting their comeuppance, but she apparently heard something in the hallway as far as that conversation goes. She comes into our classroom, walks right up to me, and says, guess what I heard about you in the hallway? And I said, I don't know what you heard, but I'm trying to be Mr. Tough, Mr. Macho doesn't matter what you heard because nothing can happen to me. And she said, oh, yeah, well, I heard you're getting suspended for three days, you big fat pig. And while I'm reacting to that, oh, yeah, oh, no, the entire classroom of girls, like, erupted in applause. <laughs> because I was, I was such a terror to everybody. They were so happy that I was finally going to get my comeuppance. And I think I – I don't think I got suspended for three days, but I think I – something happened to me. I do remember that. But I, I got a lot of talking to back then, of course. But – that was just one of those moments I'll never forget because it's like, really? The, the entire classroom was so happy to, to hear that I was about to get suspended? And that, so that obviously stuck with me. So Brock Osweiler pretty much felt like a like a, a sexual predator at that point that was finally getting the, the handcuffs put on him and brought to jail. He probably, he probably felt about that low uh, at that point in time. So I, I can empathize with Mr. Osweiler, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah, I... Sixth grade, so there's not a lot that sticks out to me from from those days anymore. It's sad because you know those were those were generally good times, and I just don't have a lot of you know. I remember general things, but I don't have a lot of day to day details like that one. That's not surprising though. That's not stunning. No. Another classroom of girls would hate me. No, that's not stunning at all. No, absolutely not. Um, and you were a little. Being a little grabby, you know, yeah, okay. You know. Oh, Couldn't uh, get away with that. Uh, Could not get oh, away no. with that now. Oh, no, 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 no. Suspensions and, and police call and everything else these days. Yeah, there's, right. there's no doubt. But it does give you a leg up on being president. Well, all you got to do is grab him by the pussy, right? That's, That's and, right. And anyone can get elected. Oh, boy. Um so we only got three minutes of live time left, so I'm actually going to go to our Thursday night game. The final Thursday night game of the year. This is it. The season is definitely winding down at this point. Because we have the, the Giants and the Eagles on Thursday night football. And this is going to be a, an important game for the Giants to keep going uh, in their pursuit of a playoff spot. They're 10-4. and four. Uh, they're they're looking at the uh, somewhere in the fourth or fifth seed area right now. They're fifth at the moment in the NFC. Uh, 
looking at a wild card spot because, of course, they're not going to catch the, uh, the the Cowboys for the division title. At least I don't think they are. Uh, no. Yeah, the Cowboys are uh, are they haven't clinched the division yet because of those losses to the Giants. So technically, they could lose the division to the Giants, but I don't see that happening. They'd have to lose the next two, and the Giants would have to win the next two. Uh, but to continue to go along and wrap up a playoff spot, the Giants would be well served to knock off Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles, the, the struggling Philadelphia Eagles who started this season so hot and now are completely eliminated from playoff contention, I believe. Uh, yeah, they are eliminated. So Giants at 10-4, and four, the Eagles at 5-9. and nine. Giants, of course, are favored, but only... By two and a half. New York is minus two and a half at Philadelphia. Jason, who you got? Yeah, and you know, and if you look at the uh, if you look at these teams statistically, they oh, you know what? It's not that far apart. And you realize though that most of what the Eagles were able to accomplish, especially offensively, was very early in the season. So even though the Eagles play good defense and they've been playing good defense most of the year, the Giants have been flapping together this good defense and you know and what started off the year looking not so great is finally starting to gel a little bit for them and you know all you need to do is throw the ball to Odell Beckham and have him break one big play and you know that's probably what they'll have in this game and what they'll need I think that the Giants easily cover two and a half I'll take the Giants here I haven't seen too many like major upsets on Thursday night this year, uh, but I still do believe in general in the home team. You want the home team unless you have a really, really compelling reason to go against them. Um, and sure enough, I'm going to go with the Eagles here, uh, knowing that they're playing much worse than the Giants lately, but still kind of believing in that, that short week, making the travel trip. The Giants think they need the game but the Eagles don't have anything to play for, and I think it's going to work in the Eagles' favor. I think they'll be able to relax. I think Carson Wentz will be able to uh, to do his little short passing games and, and avoid the pass rush and avoid what the Giants have been doing, which is getting after all these quarterbacks. I think the short passes will help the Eagles uh, overcome and beat the Giants. On our after show, when we come back. Now into our VIP after show program where we can start talking more about the football that we were trying to talk about the first 10 minutes of the show, which nobody heard. <sighs> All right. Uh, so what did we not get to that I had in my recap? Uh, oh, the, yeah, the Tampa-Dallas game on Sunday night where uh, Tampa actually covered the spread for us. Uh, they were seven-point underdogs and wound up losing by only six, uh, but Dallas did get the victory. Although the Cowboys now haven't uh, covered the spread their last four games, so uh, obviously they're not talking about that in the locker room, but just something for those of us on the outside to look in and realize that the not collapsed, but coming back to earth of the Cowboys is continuing, even though they were able to beat a, a very tough, very game Buccaneers team. Um what, uh, did you see the the game? What did you make of the the Cowboys and the Buccaneers? I, I know that was the first time I got to see a, a whole uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. I think all season. So uh, 
some impressions to be made there. Yeah, I saw I saw a little bit of it. You know, you got exactly what you thought you were going to get from the Cowboys. I mean, Dak Prescott was. I mean, ex- I mean to say he was efficient might be an understatement, considering that he only missed four passes in 36 attempts and still managed a fairly low uh, yards per attempt. If you go 32 for 36 and your yards per attempt is 7.8, you're not pushing the ball down the field. But again, you don't have to push the ball down the field when you just turn around and give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott, uh, who goes over 150 yards for the day. And they, they just seem to sort of outlet Tampa Bay because Tampa, you know, they get their shot. They're in prime time. It's the big stage. And you sort of got the best and the worst from them. You know, you got uh, Jameis Winston made some great plays, but he also threw three picks and lost a fumble. So he, he they were very loose with the football. You wouldn't normally expect a team that's that loose with the football to still be in the game and cover the spread. So then you still you still saw positive things from Tampa. So even though they lost and they had all these mistakes, they still hung around uh, and managed to cover the number. Very similar. I hate to I hate to compare these games, but very similar to the way that the Bears Packers game went, where the Bears start the third quarter with four straight turnovers, but then all of a sudden the human cover machine, Matt Barkley, (laughs) brings them all the way back. But this is the way that they cover, though. They cover, but they lose. I have realized this now about Matt Barkley, that he's good enough to bring you back to cover the number, but he's not good enough to bring you back to win the game. Um. Jameis Winston, they they tried really hard. In fact, I mean, they were winning that game going into the fourth quarter, even with all the problems. And then Dallas just starts tightening it up on defense. The turnover. I mean, they kick a bunch of field goals and they and they, and they sort of escape and, and take all the air out of Tampa Bay. But I I saw more good things. Uh, from Tampa, I won't say more good things from Tampa than I saw from Dallas because Dallas just did what they do. I mean, this is just how they play. Um, but I saw some things with Tampa to say, okay, you know what? Tampa Bay to me right now feels like what we were talking about last year with with Oakland, where you can start to see some positives, and maybe, maybe that's. Maybe this is sort of their springboard, but they're maybe not quite there yet. And, you know, they could still punch their ticket. They could still go to the playoffs. But Tampa Bay feels like an up-and-coming team that wasn't quite ready for prime time. Yeah, I'll tell you what I saw from Tampa that impressed me. It was not even on the defensive side. It was on the offense. I didn't know James Winston had matured that much as a quarterback to start looking for targets other than Mike Evans. And I, you could figure that out by looking at box scores, but I don't really study the box scores every game and pour over them like maybe I, I could or should. But I just thought that he was just targeting Mike Evans all the time and then anyone else uh, would get the ball once they double and triple covered Evans. But, no, he was targeting uh, many other different targets, uh, Adam Humphreys, Cameron Brait, a lot of other guys I've never heard of. And that's how Tampa Bay got the lead was maybe Dallas paying too much attention to Mike Evans and 
here's Cameron Brate going in between guys and getting going up and getting the the, the touchdown from ten yards out. Uh, Adam Humphreys, he was really firing it to him in the end zone. Um, should have been picked off uh, trying to fire a couple of those balls to, to Humphreys. He was actually covered, but just the fact that he was looking for anyone other than Mike Evans kind of surprised me. I didn't know he was uh, had even evolved that much to do that, but. Uh, it, it was a it was a good game by by Jameis. Uh, I guess if you take away the turnovers, I know that sounds counterproductive, but no, honestly, he, he impressed me uh, that, with his play. That he's uh, coming along as an overall quarterback, as an all around quarterback. He's making progress. Uh, got, got off some excellent throws in the middle of that game. He started with the turnovers and he ended by getting kind of chased around by the the Cowboys. Got some pass rushers and some speed guys getting after him. David Irving uh, made a name for himself, just chasing down Winston and pretty much sealed the game by himself at the end there. But in between all that, Jameis fired off some really good balls and and really made an impression on me that he's got, you know, he's, he's coming along and he's got the bright future that everybody was talking about. Uh, and what the Cowboys impressed on me was that defense, so kind of similar to Oakland, I guess, because I can't really trust that team because that defense will give it up uh, at the most inopportune times. And that's what was happening on some of those uh, plays to the Humphreys and Brady and whatnot. So the, the throws are being made by Winston, but also the Cowboys' defense was just ugh, uh, getting caught in the wrong areas, getting uh, uh, Humphreys that end zone bomb uh, was tapped by by the, the defensive back Brandon Carr and, and Humphreys caught it anyway like come on how do you actually get your hand on a ball intended for a receiver and did you let the receiver catch it anyway you got to knock that down or pick it off one of the two but, but you don't put your hands on it and let the guy catch it anyway that's just terrible um, but but things like that happen against certain defenses and the Cowboys are, are one of them um, but yeah, you can't take anything away from the the play of uh, Dak Prescott. Like you said, thirty two or thirty six, but for only two seventy nine. I guess that's the one thing you might take away from him is not nearly enough downfield attempts. But he was getting burned. He was getting caught the last couple of weeks trying to go downfield, trying to force things. So, okay, we'll, we'll scale it back. We'll have a lot of short routes, intermediate routes. Eighty nine percent completion percentage, the second highest percentage ever in any NFL game. Uh, for a, a 30 throw game, for anybody that's thrown at least 30 passes, 89% the second highest ever. So uh, that is impressive. No matter how much you want to maybe downgrade him for dinking and dunking, but dinking and dunking is what he had to do to get his confidence back. Clearly, this was something where you got a kid that, whether Tony Romo makes his concession speech or not, everyone was talking about it after that Giants game. Maybe it's time to go to him. So the kid had to be looking over his shoulder a little bit. Nice game plan to get him back on his feet, get his confidence back, get his completion percentage up. That's exactly what you needed to do with the with the rookie quarterback, and, and that's exactly what they that's exactly what Jason Garrett and Dallas did. No, it was it was a very uh, it was a very good solid game plan for the Cowboys. But again, it was just the Cowboys game plan. We haven't seen this team have to worry so much about seeing and changing. You know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to run the ball behind the big offensive line, and they're going to shelter Dak Prescott. The numbers showed it. Yes, 32 of 36, insane completion percentage, no touchdowns, no picks, efficient. 
move the ball, basically move the ball between the 20s, get the team into scoring range. Dan Bailey is a weapon. Ezekiel Elliott is a weapon. He's sort of the ultimate weapon for them right now. And just don't screw up. Don't throw it to the other team. Don't fumble it away. Just get that ball out. Get the ball out quick. You don't have to be the star. If they can win this way, which clearly they can win this way, they've been doing it this way all year long, um, and the defense didn't break. You know, the defense actually stood up and made some plays. But if, if they don't get all those turnovers, uh, Tampa Bay had had it in them to go in there and win this game. So that's why I said this is maybe a not ready for prime time type moment for Tampa Bay. More team goes in there and beats them. Yeah, Tampa Bay made an adjustment for, uh, of their own. Dallas hasn't had to make much adjustments. Tampa had to make an adjustment when when the Cowboys came flying around and, and getting their speed rushes uh, on Jameis Winston. He had to make an adjustment and throw shorter passes, and he made the adjustment and, and was hitting uh, guys with screen passes and, and quick slants and whatnot. They weren't blocking it up. The Buccaneers weren't able to block it up and and, and stop anybody from rallying to the football. But that was impressive as well, that, that Jameis and, and the Tampa coaching staff was able to uh, recognize what they needed to do to stay in that game, and, and they did what they had to do. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. The Buccaneers do look like a dangerous team, uh, and you might want to pencil them in as a potential playoff team for next year. Uh, that's a team that if, if Cass and Renard bring them up uh, as a potential playoff team for next year, you won't laugh in their face if they bring up the Buccaneers. The Jaguars are a different story. <laughs> No, uh, and, and a little bit of an update to a previous show here. You had uh, talked a few shows back about the insane uh, yards per attempt and, and, and sort of like Tecmo Bowl-style numbers that we were seeing out of Matt Ryan this year. And, it ain't uh, stopping. It, it didn't stop. Uh, he uh, In this game here against uh, San Francisco, uh, Matt Ryan we was sort of – Matt Ryan was the anti-Dak Prescott, by the way in this game. Matt Ryan only completed 17 balls, but he threw for more yards than Dak Prescott. <laughs> um, and, and Matt Ryan, uh, 12.4 yards per attempt for Matt Ryan here against San Francisco. So what what he's doing and what that offense is, now granted it was San Francisco, but they did exactly what you thought they were going to do. To, well, actually, I'm sorry. They did exactly what I thought they were going to do against San Francisco, who I still have to say, even though Cleveland hasn't won a game, I think Cleveland could beat San Francisco. I think San Francisco is the worst team in football. That thing is, oh, it it, it can't even call it a train wreck. It is about as bad as you can have it. Um, And Atlanta totally blew their doors out, running the ball, throwing the ball, playing defense, getting just, wow. Just insane. But, yeah, I was I was digging through the numbers here, and I remembered back to when you were talking about Matt Ryan with his insane, I believe at the time it was nine-point-something yards per attempt for the season, and he has this game with a 12.4. So that went up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, they're at 9.3 at the moment for the season. Crazy. Never in my life have I seen it this, this late in the season, seen 9.3 yards per pass attempt in week 16. Never seen that. The next highest in the league, I'm pretty sure, is only like 8.1 or 8.2 right yeah. now. And it's, that's only a couple teams. 
we talk about teams that, you know, Dallas has to worry about, and there's one right there. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm legit worried slash scared slash impressed at what Atlanta might do in the postseason. They, if they get on uh, on the right surface, they might just destroy anybody in front of them. And like I said, there's no one in the NFC that makes me think, oh, they're invincible or they're uh, – Atlanta can beat any other. They can beat Dallas. They can beat Seattle. They can beat the Giants. They can beat anybody in the NFC easily. I don't know where they get stopped, uh, if they get stopped by anybody necessarily. Right, and that's not a, and that's not a function that they're an unstoppable team because they'll give it up just as good as they can score it, but that they just the numbers that they are putting up this year offensively. Um, if that team had, if that team had defense, we would be talking about them right now, in that same way as that we're talking about the Patriots, as being that complete team. Because that's not a, they're not a team like Dallas where they sort of feel like one-trick ponies, just a big offensive line, and you know that they're just going to run, run, run. Atlanta runs and throws. Yeah, actually, if they get a representative defense, you know what we'd be talking about is maybe the next greatest show on turf. you got an offense that can do anything to throw to the yeah. running back, the wide receivers, have the running back go off by himself running. Absolutely anything, tight ends, you name it, with a representative defense. They were unstoppable. Those St. Louis Rams teams were unstoppable, and this might be the, the next incarnation of it. I can't believe I'm saying that about Matty Ice, but that's how great they look so far this year. Yeah, and this is and this is a team that with, with with those running backs as well. I mean, they ran. I mean, I know again, the big caveat here. It was San Francisco, but they ran for yeah. 250 yards. They ran for 250 yards against them. And made it Group look, of three hundred two on the same team in the same game. I I saw the I watched the long highlight package of the game. You know, not not this like the two minute one. I watched the really long highlight package of this game, and every play was just Atlanta getting chunks going down the field. They had drives that were literally just like three and four plays, where each play was twenty five yards. Mm-hmm. So again. They're doing this to the 49ers, who, again, I think are the worst team in football. Um, and and the wor- maybe the worst run team in football. And that's saying a lot with Cleveland floating around out there. But I will say this for Cleveland. Cleveland tries. I don't know if the 49ers are trying anymore. I don't know if they ever did. I I've, I can't remember seeing a defense that easily pushed around. Like, that's supposed to be an NFL defense, and they just get worn out. Out. I mean, it's not like it's not like they're trying and they just get burned or they get confused and look around and oh you had them no you had another they just get man on man destroyed like they're a bunch of junior high kids trying to play against the varsity. I don't know what Andy uh, uh, Chip Kelly I was calling Andy Reid I don't know why I don't know what Chip Kelly was doing putting his defense together, uh, but it's not working at all and and he's going to be another one and done. It's it's terrible. They they are so lightweight, yeah. man. They just get shoved everywhere. Because any point of attack, they they go boom. They just go down. They just get shoved to the ground. Like you like you're pushing over a grandma and, and taking her her purse to the street. It's terrible. <laughs> They're playing the Mrs. Fletcher defense. <laughs> 
there's no reason for me to, to pick Cleveland or San Francisco to, to these last two games. I don't know who they're playing, and I don't care. There's no reason for me to go there again. It's so dumb for me to even have looked at either one of those two teams the last few weeks. Yeah. It's, I've given them the benefit of the doubt, and i, I got to stop doing that. It's, so I'm, I'm calling those – I'm calling those two yeah. shots. I'm being real gutsy by calling those two shots. But whoever Cleveland and San Francisco play in the last two weeks, I'm taking their opponents. You're taking the opposite. Yeah, so, so the 49ers are all laying around out there with their life alert bracelets on. They're, they've they're fallen, and they right. can't get up. Pretty much. It's awful. It's awful to watch, awful for, for their fans, awful for everybody involved. Speaking of awful. Uh, so, so by, by that, by that, you are taking the Rams and the Chargers this week, just so you know. Oh God, the Rams! Oh, they might be the third worst team in football, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. 49ers at Rams. Oh, and then good the, Lord, <laughs> Chargers at Browns. 49ers and Rams should not be allowed by, by by law. Like, that should be shut down as an obscenity law violation or something. No one should have to watch that. Yeah, in, in its place, they're just going to air 9-11 footage. <laughs> that would be more uh, uh, worthy of being watched than that, than that actual game, pretty much. Um, I was saying, speaking of ugly and speaking of getting pushed over, anytime your boy Aaron Rodgers needs to go over the top to beat a Chicago defense, he does it anytime he wants. It's ridiculous. Pretty much. Neither one of us had the guts to take the, the human cover machine, Matt Barkley, there. Uh, or did you, you didn't have the Bears, did you? No, no, no. But – the best part was on that play that Jordy Nelson falls down on his way to the end zone, basically on yeah. making the catch to take the to take the cover right back from right. us. Yep, he was too wide open. Well, there was a guy right behind him, but the yeah, I, I know, but still, anytime Rogers needs to go sixty yards over the top to to a receiver. Yeah. Usually, the, the 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 defender has fallen down or something, and the receiver is completely wide open. But this time, the receiver fell down after catching it. Yeah, there, so there was a guy sort of there, but it, it was Nelson still made the catch because that's what happens when the Packers go deep on the Bears. The receiver makes the catch pretty much every single time. But once again, the Packers' problem from earlier in the season crept back up here in this game. What allowed the Bears to come back was. Packers refused to cover the other team's best receiver. And Alshon Jeffrey in the third and fourth quarter was just terrorizing them. Yeah. And they couldn't make the adjustment. They're just not deep enough in the secondary in a cornerback. And this was after Matt Barkley went on a four turnover stretch. This game should have been, the game was over. And the Packers yeah. were up two touchdowns, you know, or two, yeah. They had the game sewn up, and then they just decided to completely stop covering Alshon Jeffrey. And we've seen this with the Packers. We saw it with them really bad early in the season. I think Marvin Jones destroyed them at one one game. You're like, wow. And then you just started to all of a sudden see other teams, just number one receivers, just taking them to town. 
And then they, you know, even against Houston, they just decided to not cover DeAndre Hopkins to make that game more interesting late. So if you've got a stud receiver, that Packers secondary is very susceptible. Even though they're on a nice little winning streak here, I, and I wouldn't be stunned completely if they won out these last two games because they're in-division games in Minnesota-Detroit stretch that they're on here. I wouldn't be shocked because they're on a little bit of a roll. But maybe they win these both and they, they somehow sneak that division out from underneath Detroit and uh, go into the playoffs. And, and if they end up at a team with a stud receiver, and the way it lines up right now, they'd be on the road at either the Giants or the Falcons I think oh. both those teams sub receiver. What do you think? Yeah, both of those games could get ugly. Yes. I don't want to see what Odell Beckham would do to that Packers secondary. I just don't. Probably take the kicking net and put it in the middle of the field and then completely make love to it after scoring about three touchdowns on them. Yeah. Um, yeah, he'd have three catches for 252 yards. <laughs> So yeah, we know the uh, the Packers' weakness. Their Achilles heel has been their defense. That had been improved lately, but reared its ugly head again in this one. But I guess to, to look at the positive of the Packers, how about Ty Montgomery continuing to cement that he is the the best running back on that team, despite wearing number eighty eight. Uh, Kristen Michael got involved as well. Two hundred and twenty six yards running from the Packers, which is something nobody was expecting uh, at any game this season. Um, they just trucked the Chicago Bears before yeah. Rodgers decided he needed to go up top, over the top to Jordy Nelson, which he can do at any time because it's the Bears. Uh, but before that, they got their running game really on track, making that offense exponentially more dangerous if they actually have a, a running game that they can actually rely on in any of these playoff games. Yeah, and interestingly enough, if the season, before the season started, could you know everybody thinks they're so smart. Everybody tries to do all the fantasy stuff. If somebody would have told you that the Packers' most uh, accomplished running backs by the end of the year would be Ty Montgomery and Christine Michael, <laughs> you wouldn't. You it would be so crazy you'd almost have to believe it, but you'd think that the person that told you that was absolutely insane. Wait a minute, a wide receiver and a guy on the Seahawks? What? Yeah, they're going to go through Eddie Lacy, James Starks, uh, was it Don Jackson off their practice squad? They're going to go through all these running backs. and Niall Davis. To, Niall Tate. <laughs> uh, trade, was, was that a trade or a uh, free agent acquisition? I think they traded they for tra- Niall Davis. They traded for him and then cut him, and then the right. Chiefs picked him back. So basically, they just gave the Chiefs a free draft pick. That's what they did. Yes, that's that's called a, a front office that doesn't really deal with trades very often. Doesn't know what they're doing, obviously. <laughs> uh, so they go through all of that and have to re- uh, arrive at Ty Montgomery as their running back option. And remember, before that, there was talk of maybe Randall Cobb would be the, would have to be the guy because they still have a lot of packages where they hand him the ball from in, uh, in the backfield as well. So it was going to be either one receiver or the other receiver to emerge as the best running back because all those other options uh, were, were not getting it done. But it's one of those strange seasons. Yeah, it's it's it stayed weird the whole year. So that, that one, though, really stood out to me when you were watching Ty Montgomery 
you know, it's so weird because you see him out there wearing that 88, but everybody knows that he is a running back now and still has that skill set, though, that they can use him in the passing game, so there's still that. He was, yeah, he was ripping off chunks and not going down easy against the Bears, um, which just made that Bear comeback all, all the more frustrating, especially for the, the degenerates like us who were picking these games against the spread. Um, to watch that cover get blown, and uh, you know, and then for a while though, where it really got interesting was watching that game with Packer fans who were thinking, "Oh, you know, they're going to just totally even blow the win." You know, and that game started looking like it was going to overtime. I mean, I think that was a third and eleven that Rodgers threw that bomb to Jordy Nelson on. But that's just this is what he does against the Bears. That was a fourth mm-hmm. down against the Bears to win the division a few years ago to Randall Cobb, I believe. Nobody covering That was I. That would go. That goes down. Surprisingly enough, that's only my second best for that game. Because um, your first I had kick returner. Because I had right. Because, no, I had because he had just come back from injury, and that was one of those play-in games. So we did X factors for it. And I took Randall Cobb, and oh, he didn't yeah. do much. And then, uh, but that still wasn't as good as the Trendon Holiday X factor yeah. pick. I'm going to pick him to score a touchdown, even though I've got his team losing the game. What? Yeah. He scored two. Yeah. Sure did. Trendon Holiday. He's got to be a future uh, uh, Hall of Infamy candidate. Because that's obscure enough that he'll have to be a a Hall of Infamy uh, (laughs) vote-getter. Packers have a chance still to... Come back and win the division over the Lions because in the legitimacy bowl, the Detroit Lions and the New York Giants did battle, and the Giants wound up being the more legit team in a very dull, low-scoring battle. Um, it, it, it was not pretty. The, neither offense uh, really showed much of anything in that game. No, that was a that was a field goal game um, for the Lions. Yeah, I said that Matt Prater would factor in. Well, he was their all offense. Yeah. yeah he factored in, all right. Just kept being shut out. out. What's that? He factored in, all right. He kept it from being shut out. Well, that, that's true. But what do we see again, though? The Lions can't run the ball at all. I mean that's that's going to be that's their weakness. You were talking about that revolving door a couple couple few shows ago, that revolving door that the, the Lions have at, at running back and how how terrible that is. So no matter how much Matthew Stafford tries to do, again he had a, a respectable game. He put up decent numbers. He, he filled up the stat sheet okay. We you know completed a lot of balls, moved the ball, got a lot of yards, but. Very empty. It was a very empty feeling for Detroit. And just knowing now for the Lions, having a chance to go in there and kind of ice that division away, kind of, you know, give themselves a little breathing room, the Lions could win this week, lose the next week, finish 10-6, and and not win the division, and for all we know, might not make the playoffs. Uh, there's only one other 
wild card team besides the Packers who would win the division uh, that can finish ten and six along with the Giants. Uh, uh, the Giants have a chance if they uh, they're, they're ten and four now, so they ten and six would be the worst that they could do. Uh, but the Buccaneers at eight and six actually have the chance to move up to be ten and six. I don't know if they win the, tie- the tiebreaker over the Lions if they manage to go ten and six, uh, but that's the only one that could catch them. But one uh, one interesting note here for the Lions is at least by having that one game lead in the division, they could lose this week and still win the division. That's right. So little drama shaping up in a couple of divisions here. Although Detroit this week gets Dallas in Dallas on Monday night. So going to the Giants wasn't easy. Going to Dallas isn't going to be any easier. No, it's not. And in this game, this Giants game, just a perfect uh, Detroit Lions uh, sort of framing device uh what what defines their season ultimately, I think, might be uh, where you always talk about the Lions can't handle prosperity. They go up and they don't want to be up. This one, they don't even go up. In, in this game, they have Stafford hit Golden Tate just flying past Dominic Rodgers-Cromartie for a 67-yarder. Does not get in the end zone. And because the, the Lions can't handle prosperity, Zach Zinner calls up the ball at the goal line and gives it over to the Giants. You talk about, boy, we're right there. We're making a huge play. We're about to uh, tie this game or actually take the lead because they were losing 7-3 at that point. So they were about to go ahead. I was actually, you know, getting into it like, all right, here we go. Lions are about to show what they're made of. And unfortunately, I think they did show exactly what they're made of by, by coughing it up right there. Well, yeah, and, you know, as much as we're kind of, like, knocking the Lions right now, that game was – winnable for the Lions more than halfway through the fourth quarter. Yeah. The Giants weren't doing anything either. So, again, we call this the legitimacy bowl. If you sit down and you watch that game, the highlight package wasn't very long, for one. But <laughs> neither team moved very much. Um, and, and in general, it didn't leave me with a sense that I still don't know what to make out of either. I still don't like the Lions, and I still don't like the Giants. The Giants are 10-4, and four, and I don't like or respect much of what they're doing. Because they – we talk about the Cowboys being a one-trick pony. I don't even know if the Giants have the trick. They just have Odell Beckham, and that's it. Well, if you don't think they're very legit, then it's a good thing you're not watching a lot of ESPN because – there's been so many comparisons of this Giants team to the ones that have gone on to win the Super Bowl. Like, I felt sort of the same way about those Giants teams that won. They kind of came on late in the season, and here they come. And that defense might be a world championship. I don't think they would talk about the Giants as a world championship team if they played somewhere other than New York. I really don't think so. And there, well, yeah, and the reason I'm not buying that is because nobody had that feeling about those teams because it was so surprising they, that they were so uninspired. And, you know, those one, one or both of those, they were basically playing for Tom Coughlin's job. Um, <laughs> you know, that sort of seemed to be the catalyst that sort of would springboard them was all of a sudden the rumblings would start that they're going to fire Tom Coughlin, and then here go the Giants on a on a winning streak, and then they just win that thing right in the playoffs in the postseason and the Super Bowl. Um, 
what this doesn't feel like it because the fact that somebody can point it out shows you that it's not legit. Those Giants teams almost like sprung a trap. If somebody's going to sit there and try to be the smartest guy in the room and now everybody's all of a sudden looking at this Giants team going, oh, oh, oh this, this could be just like those other. No, because those teams, those weren't good teams. Those, and those teams also had that front that, that front four. They had that defensive line that could just get after another team and just wreck them. This team doesn't have that. They don't have that to that level. And Michael Strahan is not walking through that door. No. And and Jason Pierre-Paul's not getting the rest of his hand back. So you're saying that team sort of set a trap? We're caught in a trap. I can't walk we were sitting there watching that, that team that had the, the helmet catch, the, the David Tyree yep. catch. We saw that team, and that, that knocked off the undefeated Patriots team, knowing that they had a date with the Patriots in Week 17 and lost to make the Patriots 16-0. and But who knows? They may have gained valuable information about the Patriots on how to play them and came back with that bust-them-in-the-fucking-mouth mentality, and they took that to New England in the Super Bowl. This team doesn't strike me as bust them in the fucking mouth. The defense has been impressive at times, but they're not quite to that level. I think that's a lot of hyperbole because they happen to be the New York Giants. Right. No, that's exactly right to your point because there's other teams that have similar records to the Giants out there that aren't getting this kind of love thrown their way. No, not at all. They're uh, up to 10-4 and with that record. The Chiefs are 10-4. and uh, that's the only other team that's exactly uh, at that record, ten and four, uh, and then the Chiefs. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe the Chiefs and the Giants are kind of seen similarly. Well, I guess not. I, I think they're both kind of looked at us with uh, with a with a crazy eye. Like I, I don't know about those teams, but no, I guess they're not getting talked about the same way nationally because no one's talking about the Chiefs making a Super Bowl run. No, of course not. Well, they haven't done it. Yeah, but, yeah, the Giants have done. Eli's done it, but not too many other people on that team have done it. Uh, and other action from this past weekend: uh, Baltimore let Ryan Matthews run for a buck twenty-eight on them, uh, and this is before Le'Veon Bell comes in uh, on Christmas or welcomes them in on Christmas Day in that uh, weird little afternoon matchup on Christmas Day, uh, where Baltimore has to visit Pittsburgh. So that's but that's not voting very well for the Ravens uh, if they want to knock off the Steelers and and sneak up, sneak in and get that AFC North title. So that would appear that it, it belongs to the Pittsburgh, who uh, who did what they had to do in Cincinnati despite losing most of that most of the way in that game. So yeah, it, it looks like Baltimore Pittsburgh for the AFC North coming up on on Sunday. So uh, without giving away a pick, uh, how do you see that shaking out? That's it's interesting. Well, you really can't do any kind of like real prediction with that matchup because those two teams—that's one of the best rivalries in football, right there. Those two teams legitimately just don't like each other. Yeah, they'll all—they always play each other hard. I know. I mean, Baltimore won the first matchup, which is actually giving them the leg up here. Um, going into this game, very very similar to what we're seeing with Houston and Green Bay, and then those two divisions. 
that even though the Ravens are in the in the back seat, you know, they're 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 the, the Steelers are clearly the ones in front. That team that's behind, all they have to do is win, get themselves the season sweep over that top team, and put themselves in the driver's seat. So that you know, that's three divisions that we're already talking about here, where that team that's right behind already has a win in the bag against the quote unquote, you know, uh better team, although with Tennessee, um, they're tied. So Tennessee would just need that win to, to outright win the division, um, uh, provided that Tennessee wins this week. But with Baltimore, they legitimately have that where they've beaten that team. And they just need now need to try to need to beat them a second time. No, I, I did not expect. Uh, I was underwhelmed by both of those teams this week. You know, the, the I didn't see the Eagles with the big comeback. Um, Baltimore, Baltimore had that game wrapped up. Um, you know, they're, they're up, they're up by ten, and then all of a sudden, you know, with uh, what was just a few seconds left to go in the game. Eagles go on the drive, and then they and then they and then they botch uh, the two point conversion. And again, do you see a team that's out of it pull that off? I mean, yeah, we had the Raiders do that real early in the season and sort of set the tone for their whole season. But if the Eagles were in it and they were really playing for something, or they were playing for you know to get to the playoffs, they kicked that extra point because they clearly had the momentum moving the ball in the fourth quarter. So I really think they let Baltimore off of the hook by going for two in that game. So yeah, I did not leave that didn't but I haven't been impressed with I didn't have Baltimore going to the playoffs. So I haven't been that impressed by them at all. And then the Steelers I already kind of talked about a little bit with uh the Cincinnati sort of meltdown in that game where the Cincinnati is clearly um walking away with that thing. I mean, that game is what 20 to 20 to 6 at one point I'm looking here. Yeah. And then it's just field goal after field goal after field goal for Pittsburgh and then finally they break through with the touchdown and Cincinnati's offense just went to sleep. Completely went to sleep although they were in after they were moving the ball pretty decent. Um and Pittsburgh's either Pittsburgh's defense stiffened up or you just started to see again the the byproduct of Cincinnati not having AJ Green and not having that weapon out there, so they couldn't yeah. get anything done. Yeah, I think that's exactly what you saw. And both the Steelers and the Ravens give you the yin and the yang. They both give you reasons to think that they have a, a shot against each other on Sunday, and they both give you reasons to go, "Yeah, I don't really trust either one of them teams either." So. They both gave you everything you could possibly be looking for, no matter which side you're trying to choose. Right, which makes that game really tricky. And I'd be mm-hmm. shocked if we just outlined sitting on that game right now. Uh, that's got to be a cop outline. It's got to be. Uh, yeah, actually, right now, as of right now, now this isn't by the same. Uh, this is not by the same metric that you use. This game right now is sitting at Pittsburgh minus five. So, okay. yeah, don't we don't need to speculate because there's a there's a pick in the work here. I'm sure that's a that feels like a highlight game. I I, I would have to say. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we yeah, don't we'll, have that we'll many. That. We actually don't have that many games that are highlight worthy um, this week. But that is definitely uh, that is definitely one of them. 
Um, the other one, obviously, it's the, the three obvious ones are all of the late fairs this week where you have Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Denver, Kansas City, and Detroit, Dallas. Mm-hmm. And that's all prime time. So that couldn't have worked out any better. So we actually get good prime time football for uh, the Christmas weekend. The National Football League, they don't miss a trick. Um uh, it, uh, Indianapolis and Oakland uh, is intriguing because you got two teams again that you kind of look at with, eh, I don't know. You have to kind of look at them with a raised eye. But, Indy, this is one maybe you could talk about a little bit since you picked. Explain how the fuck they went into Minnesota and beat the hell out of the Vikings because nobody <laughs> saw that coming. Yeah. We waited a little while for that one. Yeah, you got to give me some credit when Chris – they didn't just beat them. They whooped them. Beat the I shit mean, out of them. They laid it down. They opened up the whoop ass, whatever you want to call it. Um, I thought – well, you know what? The, uh, the Colts went into Green Bay and did that same thing. They went in there, and they just bombs away, blew them right up, blew their doors off right out of the building. Now, those two defenses are, I don't look at them as comparable. The Vikings, I thought, were way, way more equipped to handle the Colts than the Packers were, and yet they did beat them both pretty equally. So what, what do I know? Yeah, they, they, they actually the Packers at least made a comeback, and that's, I think, what it was. Is like the Colts have started to feel over the last four or five weeks like they were sort of waking up out of this slumber. Um, but I think it's all going to be too little too late. And I think that the Vikings have been wounded, you know, and, and and they couldn't keep winning games the way they were winning them. They couldn't keep pace. I had nothing more than a feeling that this Adrian Peterson thing was going to be a complete ruse, and it really didn't pan out. I mean, he came back, uh, what, tw- 22 yards, and he put the ball on the ground. It, yeah. it wasn't good. And this was against the Colts. We're on the other side. The Colts ran and threw uh, Minnesota out of their own building. I mean, Frank Gore, when was the last time Frank Gore had a 100-yard game? Because he did it here. I mean, Frank Gore? I thought he was retired. So, no, did I see – I didn't see this, by the way. I didn't see a blowout coming. Um the one that the one that I would actually take more credit for would be my uh, Saints over the Cardinals pick. Yeah, well, that uh, was the, the Saints give up forty-one and still win. So that, I don't quite know what to make of that one. But yeah, you you, you had it. That's certainly yeah, one that for one you. went a little bit more the way I thought it would. That <laughs> uh, the Drew Brees wasn't going to allow himself to keep not throwing touchdowns and having all his records snapped, that he was just going to have a day, and, and and that's in a controlled environment, and he was just going to go off. And I think we saw Arizona, now that they're done, really they, they certainly went into uh, mail-it-in territory on defense there. Yes, they did. That was that was not what you expect. You do not expect Drew Brees to go for 389. Um, and they had over 500 yards of offense in that game. You do not expect to see that against a, Carol, uh, a, a Cardinals defense. 
you know, that was shocking. Uh, to see that 48-41 pop up there, that was shocking also because Arizona has some offense of their own. Uh, and David Johnson isn't the shocking part, but the fact that, you know, they stayed with him in the air and Carson Palmer turned in a pretty good game. Uh, but they got to learn how to rely more on David Johnson still. I think we both still agree with that. They need to give him the ball even more, whether it's running or, or out of the backfield. They've got such a great weapon here. You see what the Steelers do with Le'Veon Bell. They'll hand it to him 50 fucking times. They don't care. They don't, and, and Arizona needs to get on that on that same train because I think Bell and Johnson are pretty much one and one A. I said this in the previous show, and I still believe I think they're the two best all-around backs in football. It's them two, and I don't know who else is third, but those two guys, and, and the Steelers know how to use them. The, the, Todd Haley, for all my criticism of over the years, knows how to use a weapon like Le'Veon Bell. Unfortunately, the Cardinals don't seem to know how to use David Johnson properly, and they need to figure that out very quickly. Yeah, and that game, that was a back-and-forth kind of game. I had an easier time putting a handle on that one than trying to come up with some how did Indy just completely blow the, the Vikings out of the wall. I just I thought Indy would win. I didn't think they'd win by four touchdowns. Hard. I mean, I get the credit for the win. That's great. I look like a genius. I'll take it. Um, I didn't see that happening. I would not have told you that was going to go down 34-6. to six. So eliminated from the race uh, after this weekend, the Cardinals officially – the Eagles officially, the Bengals officially, and the Chargers. Um, some teams still in the race but are going to be eliminated would be the Panthers, the Saints. Uh, they're not making the playoffs. Um, the, the Bills and, and we don't we can't see the Colts making it past two teams, even though one team is eight and six. The others, uh, well, they're both eight and six actually. Uh, the teams that are ahead of the Colts, but that, that's just too hard to leapfrog two teams to win a division with only two weeks to go. Um, and the Broncos at eight and six. There's too many wild card teams for them to get past as well. There's two other eight and six teams, not counting the two teams in the way in the wild card right now in the AFC: the Dolphins and the Chiefs. Um, and then the NFC: the Giants, of course, uh, pretty much have that sewn up one of those wild card spots. Packers at eight and six currently are in the lead for the second wild card spot, still battling for the division title, but not in the clear for the wild card spot because Tampa Bay at eight and six, Washington at seven, six and one technically is still in it. And the Vikings are still technically in it at seven and seven, but I don't think either one of us think they're going to make it up there either. No, no. And the one that we should pat ourselves on the back for was that Monday night one, both of us taking Carolina. Um, yeah, this is why Washington isn't going to make it in uh when it's all said and done, it's because their defense just broke all the way down. Like the jalopy on the side of the road broke down. Yeah, and and Jordan Reed, uh, fortunately I did not need Jordan Reed for my uh, fantasy matchup. I already had it sewn up. But Jordan Reed went insane. Just started punching dudes. (laughs) Punching dudes who are are wearing football helmets. Yeah. So yeah, I had you know Jordan Reed's one of my, Jordan Reed's one of my fantasy tight ends. Um, thankfully, I had both games in my my uh, playoffs this week. I had them both sewn up for that, so I didn't need either performance or any of the performance because I had actually both tight ends in that game that didn't do much. I had Greg Olson and Jordan Reed. 
Uh, one of them just didn't do much. The other one just punched his way out of the game. <laughs> it almost felt like when he did that, he knew the game was slipping away. He just wanted to go home. Just wanted to take a shower and go hey, home early. If you really want to get yourself tossed out of a football game, just walk up to someone and punch them. Whether he's wearing a helmet or not, it doesn't matter. It's just punch a dude. If you want to get tossed out for a while, you want to go to Hawaii for a few weeks, just walk up and punch a ref. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. I would. That might get you thrown out the league, depending on how talented you are. And then, I, the, then way on your way out, start giving the fans the finger. Right. Do the old Jack McDowell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so is that about it for football? Cause I, I had one small thing to get to, not football. Go for it. Uh, we did this last year, I believe. Uh, are you aware of the most recent inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, no, I am not. This will oh. be this will be news to me. It's actually, will be news to me because I don't know. I didn't know either. I, I just clicked on the website. But I have bookmarks here. Um, I, I read one on Facebook when it was announced yesterday. Uh, so that, that's the only one that I actually knew about coming in. So what's your impression of, and I may be stretching the limits of what's rock and roll, but I, they've probably been doing that for a while, but the rapper Tupac Shakur as a rock and roll hall of fame. I'm sure you're very familiar with all the work of Tupac. Well, yeah, because he's been more prolific since he died. <laughs> Almost like Elvis. He's making money hand yeah. over fist. Even though he's dead. They're going to put out a new album of Tupac singing over the London Philharmonic. The London Symphony. They just did that with Elvis. They put out an album. Somebody, I heard this on the radio the other day. Somebody was talking about they put out a new album of Elvis singing over the London Symphony Orchestra. So I guess they could do that with Tupac now. Uh, okay. <laughs> For the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I just don't get that. That to me makes no sense. Well, if you got NWA in last year, so I guess you opened it up for all sorts of things. I, I, I guess. Are we gonna? Hey, so Barry Bonds might not make it into the Baseball Hall of Fame, but we could put him in the Football Hall of Fame. Sure. We just get him into a Hall of Fame. Yeah, he, he looked like a football player, sort of. So yeah, I. Okay. Sure. <laughs> for all those rock songs, for all that rock and roll that Tupac played. Uh, So you have heard of the other uh, five inductees along with Tupac. So your quick thumbnail reaction to, well, I don't know if you know much of her music because I don't know much of it either, but Joan Baez. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sure. I don't think she she wanted uproarious laughter when you brought up her name as a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. I'm glad I'm not in the stands for the induction. And here she is, Joan Baez. <laughs> <laughs> How about ELO, Electric Light Orchestra? Any thoughts on them as Rock and Roll Hall of Famers? They are getting down to the bottom of the barrel here. <laughs> There's nobody left to put in. This isn't even the vet city anymore. Really? 
The Hall of Fame? ELO? ELO. Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. Wow. We've got two OKs in a while so far. Um, break out the... Oh uh, won't be, I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> break out the candles and don't stop believing because Journey is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, I, I'm okay with that one because that 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 feels like they had a Hall of Fame career. We're starting to do what we do with baseball and football now. Uh, yeah, Journey... Journey had a Hall of Fame career, I would say. Yes, I, I would give them the thumbs up. Okay, we got one thumbs up. It wasn't an okay or a wow, so that's good. What do you think of Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam as Rock and Roll Hall of Famers? I, I guess there's no shelf life on this where, you know, it's like one of those where you have to be out of it for five years, like in baseball or some of the other sports. Those aren't... aren't they're, they haven't been relevant for a long time. I mean, they're still alive. Uh, they had a nice little run there. I mean, I can't, I can't say that I hate it. Uh, the 90s weren't a good decade for music to me in general, especially rock-type music. It was sort of a, of a lost decade for that style of music. But if anybody sim- symbolizes the lost decade of the 90s for rock music, it's Pearl Jam. So you might as well put them in. I believe the criteria that I read years ago, I think the criteria goes... Wait a minute. They have criteria. <laughs> the only one I can think of is you, you're not eligible until 25 years after the release of your first record. I believe that's the criteria. So this might be right on 25 years after Pearl Jam's first record. So they were basically uh, yeah, I, really trying to get these guys in there is what you were saying. Yeah, that's what I uh, – I had the same reaction that you did. Like, wow, they're, they're pretty young to be putting in the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But, yeah, they really wanted them some Pearl Jam, I would think. Um, and finally, your thoughts on the group Yes as Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. Oh, well, I, all I remember of them are weird music videos from the 80s. Like, you know, a little, like, owner of a lonely heart scene. Oh, my God. No. Just because a band has a few, like, songs that people know, is that how they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now? Um, That's other uh, criteria that you're asking. I don't know any of the other criteria. I have no idea. Uh, This would apparently be Daniel Bryan's favorite band, right? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Over and yes. over again. Yes. <laughs> I want him to introduce them. It would also be Meg Ryan's. <laughs> hey, hey! Uh, again, if we're laughing at you, you probably shouldn't be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> but that's it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know enough of Yes's work. I, I mean, I only know they had a couple songs. They had a couple songs that were big hits. Apparently, that's all it takes to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I have a weird relationship with Yes. I can't even really comment or, or react to it because my my memories and thoughts of them are, are so strongly tied to one specific incident. And that incident, and maybe this is something I probably shouldn't say in public, but what the hell, that incident is me being like five or six years old 
uh, being in, in my in the apartment that my dad and my mom had for like a year. They weren't together as a family all that long. But in that time, my dad actually brought back uh, a blonde hooker with blue jean cutoff shorts. I'll never forget what she looked like. And I wasn't supposed to ever tell anyone about this. So my job while he was in the bedroom with this blonde hooker was to sit out there with his tape recorder and play this cassette of, of the best of yes. And that's, that's all I could do. I, I didn't have anything else I could do because I couldn't go in the bedroom. Uh, so I, I can't think of yes as anything other than the, the band that I had to listen to while my dad cheated on my mom. So I have to abstain myself from that completely. Yeah, that one, that's not good. You're not giving, you're not introducing them. You're banned from that. I know I'm not going to be introducing yes at the at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because that would not go well. <laughs> I would just be looking at them going, dude, I know way more about your songs than I have any right to. And, but I can't really talk about why. Although I did just talk about it. Uh, so anyway, uh, so, uh as we discussed on the last show, we had to come back Friday night late at 10 Central to do our pick. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.